0: Well, good morning, church. If you will take your Bibles and turn, go ahead and turn to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. In our second week of our series on the attributes of God, we're considering several of God's attributes. Last week we considered his holiness, and this morning we are looking at the immutability of God. And today we're going to be following through several passages of Scripture. Instead of working through a single text, like is our normal pattern, usually we would work through a pa- one text and, and just stay there. But this morning uh, it's a bit more of a topical sermon, and so we're going to be looking and considering several passages uh, in light of this doctrine of who God is. And so we'll, we'll begin in Psalm 102, uh, specifically in verses 25 through 27 and we look forward to our time together. Let's just pray once more for God's help as we consider his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its instruction in our lives. We pray that by your spirit, you would allow this truth to be planted in us and to transform us for your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world that is filled with change. Life is marked by regular updates and upgrades. Pretty much everything we know in life changes, doesn't it? iPhone 14, all right, you got it, praise the Lord. (laughs) For, For those of you with lesser technology, you still have upgrades as well and updates. Think about all that changes in life, language, communication, transportation, Technology changes. Books need revising. Believe it or not, our bodies age. Homes need renovating. I mean, everything that we're accustomed to in life changes in some way. We don't know a world without upgrade or update. Everything we know is constantly changing. But how does that idea of change Apply to God. Many in our day even seem to think that God and his word are in need of updating. But does that, does that happen? Does God change? And what would it mean if God was in need of change? Can that actually be? Well, the short answer is no. God does not change. God does not change in who he is. God is never in need of updating. There's not a God 14, right? He's never in need of change. He is as he is, has always been and will always be. The fancy word for this that we're using this morning is he's immutable, he's unchanging. And what we mean when we st- when we speak about the immu- Im- Im- I can't even say it immutability of God is that God is unchanging in His being, in His perfections, so in His person, He's unchanging in His purposes and His promises. It doesn't mean that God doesn't feel or express different emotions or respond to His creation differently at times, but it does speak to the fact that God in his being, his purpose, his promise will never change. The Dutch theologian Herman Bavinck summed it up quite well. He said, the doctrine of God's immutability is the highest significance of religion. That's a big statement. The contrast between the creator and the creature Every creature, he says, is continually becoming. It is changeable, constantly striving, seeks rest and satisfaction, and finds this rest in God, in him alone, for only he is pure being and not becoming. So, why is this so essential for us to understand? Why would I put this out for our sleepy youth to consider this one? What, what should we preach when the youth come off a, a long retreat and are sleepy? Let's talk about the immutability of God, right? Why is God's immutability, according to Bavink, the highest significance of religion? Why does it matter that he's unchanging? And what kind of significance would that have to play upon our lives? Well, I'm glad you asked. These are all important questions for us to think about when we think about the nature and the character of who God is. So as we consider this doctrine this morning, I want us to to look at three ways, these three ways that I've already referred to this morning, how God is unchanging in his person, in his purpose, and in his promises, and how that impacts us. This is very applicable There's lots of application that comes flooding out of this, this teaching of God's unchangeableness, right? Lots. So let's consider, first of all, that God is unchanging in his person. Psalm 102, verse 25, the psalmist reminds us here of God's existence long before the heavens and the earth were made, points us to the eternality of God, but he also points us to something else. Look at what the psalmist says. He says, "'Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, "'and the heavens are the work of your hands. "'They will perish, but you will remain. "'They will all wear out like a garment. "'You will change them like a robe, "'and they will pass away. "'But you are the same, "'and your years have no end.'" The psalmist here is pointing us to, to, this, to, the, to the universe itself, having a starting point, having a, a beginning, and how even the universe changes over time, but not God. He remains the same. This particular psalm is, is really, if you look at the greater context, a complaint given to the Lord from one who is facing a great calamity. Some think it was maybe in reference to the destruction of the temple or with regard even to the slow progress of rebuilding after its destruction. Either way, we see the desperation here of the psalmist. If you go back in the earlier parts of the psalm, in Psalm 102, you see in verse 3, for example, and 4, For my days pass away like smoke, my, my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. Verse 8. All the day, all, all the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. I mean, this the psalmist is at at a at a breaking point here. Just pouring out his heart before the Lord. And the truth that the psalmist seems to cling to there at the end of this passage. That though the foundations of the world come to ruin, God's people can rest with hope. Why? Because God remains the same. If you finish out that, that text in the very last verse as, as the psalmist recounts the eternality of God and the fact that God does not change, that he remains the same, notice the conclusion in verse 28. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. The Psalmist here is pointing to this fact that, and we see it used, this word used in other texts, don't we, that God is an everlasting rock, immovable, unchangeable. James, the New Testament, understood this same truth with reference to God when he wrote in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, James says, coming down from who? The father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Think about this. Think about how God's glory, even his essence, would be diminished if he could somehow change in his being. Think about the wisdom of God. God does not grow in wisdom. He is only wise. He does not gain knowledge. If he could gain knowledge, that would somehow bring him down. He would lack something, wouldn't he? If he he could lose wisdom, again, he he, he would lack... Think about his power. He can't increase in power, nor can he decrease. He is all-powerful. What God is today, he always was. No beginning, no end. He doesn't need recharging or updating. He is who he is as he's always been. I get it. Our, our finite brains reach a capacity of trying to understand that. Like, like there's, there's gonna be a point you reach, no matter how many theologians you've read throughout, your, the, throughout the years, that, that you just like hit, hit a wall and, and trying to understand that. Like God has always been, yes. And he's not changed, he's not evolved. God is the only constant in life. And because of that, we should have confidence and hope and joy and peace and comfort and a host of many other things. If any of the attributes of God that we will look at any of the attributes that describes God's being and his character were able to change, again, that would indicate a change for the better or for the worse, which means he's not God. So the doctrine of God's immutability means that God wants nothing, he loses nothing, he gains nothing, remains entirely as he is from eternity to eternity and friends that is good news for you and for me it means that the essence of god's character can always always be trusted he's always wise he's always on his game like you can't you can't trick him he knows all things perfectly fully always he has All power, always. He's ever present, always. Nothing of this changes. God is always holy. He's not holy on Sundays and then Monday through Friday, he kind of steps back from that. No, he's always these things. There is no lack with God. And that is good news for us. That means he can fully be trusted and depending, dependent upon we, there's not a person in this room that's perfectly dependable. right? Not one. Like I, I, I prefer to be on time, but there's times where I'm late, right? Not, not, not all of us are, are dependable. God's always dependable. Always. God is unchanging in his person, in his essence, in who he is, in his being. He does not change or morph or upgrade or evolve or, or, or whatever. He is and has always been. Number two, God is not only unchangeable in his person, he is unchangeable in his purpose. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46, there in the Old Testament. Again, the prophet underscores this truth of God's unchanging purposes. In this chapter, Isaiah is, is writing about, he's really contrasting the, the idols of Babylon to, to the one true God. And he's really taking on these Babylonian idols. He's taking them to task. He's exposing the folly of idol worship as he explains how these idols are the works of human hands and they have to be kind of taken around by man. Isn't that foolish? Not only do we have to make this God, we've got to tote him around. And Isaiah's saying, that's ridiculous. And then Isaiah gets at the end. The Lord speaking through him says this. Look at verse eight. Isaiah, as he's contrasting the truth of who God is to the false Babylonian idols, he's describing God and he points one of the things he points to so that in verse 8 people can remember and stand firm, he points to God's unchanging, unfailing purposes. I don't know about you, like, again, I, I like to think I'm organized. Maybe some, someone would tell me I'm not, but but I'm a to-do list kind of guy. Every week I do the old fashioned to-do this week and I write them down. And then I go day by day and write down certain things. And in my mind, I even kind of have an ongoing to-do list. And, and I'm one of those that if I don't complete all of that, I get a little irritable, frustrated, because I know there's something to be done that I just didn't get to this week or last week. I don't like leaving things incomplete. Well, that's never the case with God. God never leaves anything incomplete. His purposes always stand. His counsel, the fullness of His will, the the purposes God has ordained will always stand. God's divine to-do list, always accomplished. His counsel, his will, always, exactly as he's purposed. And two, this should be of great encouragement to us. Think about this. If God's purposes could be hindered in some way, then where would our hope rest? Think about that. We couldn't talk about the certainty of salvation, could we? The certainty of heaven. There's a lot of things that we would be wavering on if God's purposes could somehow be altered midstream. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 11, speaking of Christ, he says, in him we've obtained an inheritance. We've received, we've obtained by faith in Jesus an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory." Paul's pointing to the certainty of this salvation, the, the certainty of an inheritance we've, we've obtained, having been predestined according to what? The purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. Not some things, not occasional things, all things is being worked by God. His purpose is unfolding day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour. Listen, God is not a God of possibility. He is a God of absolute certainty. And that should be a rock on which you stand. If God's purposes could change or be altered, again, that would be an indication of a weakness, something that God lacks. One man who understood this quite well was Job. We know if you read Job in the Old Testament, Job endured some of the worst trials and suffering imaginable. Even as he endured some of these trials, he did not waver in his trust of God. And in Job 42... Verse two, he utters these words. He says, I know, speaking, Job's speaking to God. They're they're having a dialogue there at the end of the book. And Job says, I know that you, God, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's coming out of the mouth of a man who's lost everything, everything valuable to him. He's lost it all. And Job is saying to God, I know that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know that your purposes stand and I can trust that. I don't understand all of this other stuff and Job's never given a reason why he endured all of those things, but he says at the end, I know God, you can be trusted because your purposes prevail and that's good enough for me. It's good news. Nothing can hinder God's purposes from unfolding. Think about just in these categories alone. His purpose to save. His purpose to save. And shouldn't that give us as Christians confidence in evangelism in doing the Great Commission together? As we go and make God's word known to the world, that should give us confidence. No matter how hard the ground may seem at times, we know that God's purposes will not be thwarted. And we go with that confidence and that sense of urgency, knowing that God will save. He does, he has, and he will and that his purposes can't be thwarted. So we go with confidence. His purpose to sanctify, to grow us, to make us more and more like Jesus cannot fail. He who began a good work in you will, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So that should be encouraging for us in our discipleship as messy and as difficult as that is at times. We are encouraged, we are confident because God's purposes can't be thwarted. His purpose to glorify, to give you and I hope for the future. He who promised will do it. God's unchanging purposes are foundational for our hope. Think about that again. If God's purposes are unchanging, that means he can never fail, not once. God will never fail in doing his will, in doing that which is right and good in the world. God's purposes will never falter. And just as that is our very sense and source of hope and joy and confidence as Christians, we should also understand that should be a warning to those who are not trusting in Christ because God's purposes will not be thwarted. That includes his purpose of judgment. God will bring forth justice and judgment against sin. He will hold us accountable. And if you remain in your sin and not trusted in Christ, then you must know with certainty, you will stand before God and face the the, the eternal consequences of your sin. God's purposes will not be thwarted. That, That should be a source of hope to those who are hoping in Christ, believing in Jesus, but if you're not, that should be a warning to you. It should be a warning. God is not like weak parents who threaten kids with consequences but never follow through. He's told us clearly because, and, and, and he's told us clearly in his word and because his purpose does not change, then all who remain in their sin outside of Jesus will be condemned and held accountable. Hebrews 9 verse 27, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. There's this appointed day when we all stand before God and those who are trusting and believing in Jesus will find that day Filled with hope, and those who aren't, it will be a day it's unbearable. So, friends, if you're here today and you're not trusting in Jesus, you're not following Christ, you're not, you've not turned from your sin and put your hope in Christ, maybe you have lots of questions to consider. But then understand this: that the doctrine of immutability, the fact that God is unchanging, should urge you towards Repentance and faith. It should remind us all that, hey, we, God's unchanging, and that's in the good and in the, in, the, in, the, in the negative consequences that we will face. He's unchanging in his purpose. And number three, he's unchanging in his promises. The book of Numbers, fourth book of the Old Testament, Book of Numbers in chapter 23. Here in Numbers, we have the story of the prophet Balaam who goes to visit the king of Moab, Balak. It's a long story, but just kind of shorten it for us. Balak, the king of Moab, asked this this prophet of sorts, Balaam, to curse the Israelites. Because he was fearful that they were too powerful. This, this, Moab, this Moabite king was afraid of the Israelites. He was fearful that they were too powerful and that they would maybe invade somehow as they were making their way to the promised land, right? And so Balak calls this prophet Balaam and asks him to curse the Israelites. And Balaam has some interactions with God, which is another story, kind of in the story. But at the end of the day, Balaam refuses to curse the Israelites, and instead the Lord gives him a word to give in response to King Balak, which we read in chapter 23 of Numbers. Chapter 23 of Numbers, and so earlier the Lord meets with Balaam, and the Lord gives a word to Balaam to speak to Balak, and in verse 18 we hear that word. Numbers 23, verse 18, and Balaam took up his discourse and said, rise, Balak, and hear, Give ear to me, O son of Zippor, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that, she, that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will, not, will he not fulfill it? Behold, I receive a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. Balaam is, in, in essence, telling Balak, listen, God's given me a word to bless, and that's what's going to happen, right? I, God's promise to do this. He's going to do it. He's going to hold firm to his word. And Balak, Balaam points that, that he's speaking that truth back to King Balak. Has he said and will, not, will he not do it? Or has he spoken when will not he fulfill it? Hold on to that thought for a second because there are some examples in scripture where it seems that God does go back on his word, that he changes his mind about a situation. He said he was gonna do this, he's promised this, and then something happens along the way and God changes his mind and he doesn't do it. And some will latch onto those verses and say, ha, God does change his mind, he does change. Let's think about these for a moment. Let me just take us to a couple of examples. There are some examples where, where God does change his mind about a situation. Look in, in, in Exodus chapter 32, if, if you recall that, that moment where, again, Moses goes up to the mountain, meets with God, and he's there a little longer than the Israelites expected, and they get impatient, and they make a golden calf and start worshiping this golden calf. Moses comes down, and God's about to take him out, all right? God's, he's going to take them out. He's going to, to, to his, the, the scripture says that his anger burned against them. But Moses intercedes on their behalf, asking God to relent from his anger. And in chapter 32, verse 14 says, the, the, the scripture says this, and the Lord relented of the disaster he had spoken of bringing on his people. That's the scene God's people, the Israelites, become idolaters. They worship a golden calf, and God's anger burned against them, and he says, I'm about to take them out. And Moses prays says, Hold on, please don't do that. And God relents and doesn't. Go to the book of Jonah. The Old Testament. Jonah is called to go preach to the Ninevites. He has a little struggle there at the beginning of doing that, but God gets his attention and sends him, sends him on his way eventually. The fish involved in that scene. He's called to go preach to the Ninevites and his message was simply a message of pending judgment. The Ninevites were a very wicked, ungodly people and Jonah was a prophet sent to them to go proclaim judgment. And that was simply his message. In 40 days or so, you'll be overturned. Judgment's coming. But the passage in in chapter three tells us in Jonah that they believed God. They believed it and they repented of their sins and the text tells us that God relented. He did not bring judgment upon them. So what are we to make of passages like these where it seems as if God promises one thing then goes kind of against his promise and gives another? Another. Or promises to to give judgment and withholds it. What do we make of those passages? Good question. Just call Jeremy this week and he'll tell you. No, just kidding. <laughs> Some refer to this as God's relational mutability, which in no way contradicts his ethical immutability. You tracking? That's a lot of of words to come out of our mouth, right? And I think that's the correct way of seeing it. Bruce Ware in his book, God's Greater Glory, puts it this way in reference to how God responds in various ways to his creation. He says, the relational mutability of God is a change not of his essential nature, nor of his word or promise, but of his attitude and disposition toward his moral creatures in ways that are commensurate to changes that happen within them. So in these situations, God does not change in his essence, in his person. He's not changing in his purposes, nor is he changing in his promises. But he does change a course of action based upon how a people respond in time, and this is still within his unchanging purpose and promise. Think about the, 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 the truth that had been taught from of old, that if you would repent, God would forgive Some people see passages like these and conclude that, that God must not know all things because he learns new information and there he, then he responds to that new information. But that is not at all the case. He's perfect in wisdom. God knows all things. He learns nothing new. Again, God had established from the beginning that those who would repent and turn from sin would be forgiven, which is exactly what he does in Nineveh. He's faithful to his promise to forgive. Had they not repented, he would have been faithful to his promise to condemn. And that allows him to remain faithful to his word. He fulfills it. Sin and be condemned, repent and live. That's exactly what happens. So even though God is unchanging in his person, his purpose, his promise, and his essence, he does respond to the behavior of his creatures in time. So for example, God's purposes and promises include things like our prayers. Think about prayer and how this would relate. We see examples of this. I've already pointed to one example in Moses and how he intercedes and God uses that prayer to, to not bring condemnation on his people. I think this is why praying is so important. God will often ordain our prayers as the means through which he brings something about. God does not only ordain the end, he ordains the means to that end. And many times, we don't know when this is, but sometimes he ordains prayer as the vessel through which his purpose will be accomplished. So we pray. Not to inform God of something he doesn't know about because he knows all things. Prayer is not an information session. We're like, hey, God, did you realize this is going on? Maybe you're busy. Maybe you're busy somewhere else, but hey, this is happening. It's not to inform God. He's aware of all things always. So prayer is 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 one one purpose of prayer is to bring about the Promises of God, the purposes of God. And so we pray, we pray confidently, knowing that our very prayers may be in fact used of God to bring about his sovereign purposes in our ever-changing circumstances. We also see a range of emotion that God expresses in the scriptures. The scripture points and it says of God that he is angry, jealous, wrathful, but he's also compassionate, merciful, long-suffering, just to name a few. Think about this glorious passage from Zephaniah 3, verse 17. Some of us didn't even realize that was a book of the Bible. Zephaniah 3, 17. The prophet says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's a wonderful passage in and of itself, but what I wanted just to see there is how how that reminds us that God does act in time and He has true emotion. So while we hold unswervingly to the fact that God is unchanging in His essence, His purposes, His promises, He does respond in different ways at different times to His creation. Why is that important to affirm? Well. Many reasons, but a couple of things here as I I, I kind of draw this to to a conclusion is that it's important to affirm because it helps us understand the dynamic of the God-human relationship. There is genuine interaction between God and man. And while we can rest confidently in God's sovereign, unchanging character and purpose, we can also take heart that God treats us with care as moral agents in this world, people made in his image. He's not some stale, immovable robot that just is. Unmoved by our desires or actions. I mean, of his people, he will rejoice over you with gladness. I think it also helps us understand that our lives do have some kind of impact on God, not, not that our choices can affect God for the better or worse, he's unchanging, but God does feel varying emotions. He can be grieved, he can rejoice. He can sympathize, he can show displeasure. I mean, there, there's are, we find all kinds of examples of this in the Bible. So again, there's this, this reality of this divine human relationship that exists So while we affirm, as do the scriptures, that God is unchanging in his perfections, in his person, in his purposes, his promises, that does not keep him from engaging our lives, which change daily, moment by moment. And friends, that should cause us to marvel all the more in God, that he is constant, he is stable, He is immutable, yet he's chosen to engage a path and relationship with his creation that demonstrates variability and relational adaptability. Again, he is not a robot without any emotional investment in us. He's the unchanging God who is chosen by his grace to redeem a people that he interacts with on the daily. Friends, we know that we live in a world filled with change. Life for us changes by the second. But God remains the same. His purposes will not be thwarted, they will unfold. His promises remain secure. There's not a promise that God has given that He will not fulfill, not one. So the next time you get that notification on your phone for another update or you see the need for some renovation or you look in the mirror and you notice some change, take that moment and be reminded that there is one who changes not. That there is one and only one constant in this world and in this life and that is not you or me, it is God. And that He, the one who never needs updating, the one who never needs upgrading, the one who never evolves with the times. He remains the one true constant in this world and in our lives, and we can trust him because that is true. The nearer we draw near to him, the more stability we will find in his unchanging character, his unchanging purposes, and his unchanging promises. If anything, the doctrine of Immutability teaches us, it teaches us how much we need God and how much we can perfectly trust him because he is God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for your word, which is good and true. It reminds us of who you are as you've revealed yourself in it. Father, as we think about these attributes and the one we're looking at today of how you are unchanging, Lord, we always feel as if we've just scratched the surface. We've, we've, there's so much more to consider about this, Lord, and Lord, we'll spend a lifetime trying to. But Father, we thank you this morning that we can open your word and, and consider who it is you are and how our hope and our confidence can be rooted in you, the true and living God, the one who never changes. Lord, this life is filled with change, it is marked by change, and there's not a day that doesn't reveal that in some way. But Lord, we do thank you that you are the one true constant in our lives and that we can perfectly trust you because you never change. You never grow old or frail, you never weary, Father, there's not a piece of knowledge you lack, you're perfect in power, but everything about you remains as you've been for eternity. So Lord, would you help us to look to you and be humbled by that, but Lord, not only humbled by that, we would be hopeful. Lord, thank you for showing us this this morning and Lord, would you allow this truth to, to be buried in our lives in a way that would be a rock and a foundation for us to live from for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.